All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Danso Pitch Podcast. I'm your host for today, Charles Danso, joined by our co-host of the Danso Pitch, Mr. Daniel Goodman. Daniel, how are you feeling today? Feeling great, man. Feeling great. Welcome to February, right? It's an awesome month, um, like history month. You know, we're about uh, halfway through or a little bit more than halfway through the first quarter. Right. And more excitingly, I am ready for spring spring is around the corner I'm ready i'm ready to be done with this winter man but you know exciting topic um you know as spring comes around we all know what comes with that is uh it's tax season so a very exciting topic we have today yeah i mean it's, yeah charles let's, let's let's take it away it's a really exciting topic um as he kind of just segued in uh, like like he said, this, the year goes by so quick. I think February, they always give Black people the shorter end of the stick, right? Like Black History Month happens to fall on the shortest month of the year. But, you know, besides that, uh, the kind of the point that Daniel kind of emphasized for the audience listening and watching this is tax season. Tax season is fastly approaching. If you, you know, work in a business, some type of, or you work for a business, so to speak, I'm sure you've started receiving your forms. But a lot of people that do receive tax forms or in, or are in a business or may be conducted in a business, they may not realize a lot of times this is what we're going to use this episode to kind of describe. We're going to kind of hint to you guys the different forms that you need for, let's say, if you work for an employer, you have your own business, even if, you know, you gamble, if you're, you know, you use all these other uh, gambling sites such as FanDuel, BetMGM, Caesars, all these I just named. Uh, you have to file taxes, whether you're either gaining or losing on a lot of these bets. A lot of people don't realize that. So we're going to kind of give you guys the ins and outs of that. Uh, we're going to explain it. I know the 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 um, the women, the women barometer is going to fucking drop in this episode. It's probably going to be one of them. <laughs> probably a boring yeah. episode, but, you know, it, it's information it's, packed. Right, right. But it's going to be very informational packed. But it's, ve- it's very important. It's very necessary, guys and girls that's listening. Uh, I definitely think you should take some notes and or just take a listen to this, share this with anybody, even if you have a business. I think it's really important to, uh, you know, just watch and listen to. So let's get started. So what I'm going to start this episode with is describing capital gains tax. Now, a lot of people may have heard or may not have heard of this, but this is basically what you kind of get when you make some type of profit on an investment whether it's a gain or loss and how long you hold it for, especially a lot of people will hear capital gains tax if you're involved in the stock market or real estate. Now to give a quick definition of a capital gains tax is when stock or shares or any other taxable investment assets are sold, the capital gains or profits are referred to as having been realized. That means that example, if you're conducting, let's say you just bought four shares of Apple. You bought it at, let's say, $151. You're netting close to $600. So right there is the realized profit, the fact that you were able to acquiesce that amount of money by purchasing that amount of shares or stock of Apple, so to speak. So the tax doesn't apply to unsold investment or unrealized capital gains. Stock shares will not incur taxes until they are sold no matter how long the shares are held or how much they increase in value. So let me give a quick audience, uh, paint a picture for the audience. Will you ever notice when you go to your accountant, whether you do your taxes yourself or whatever the case is, you go to somebody for, you know, expert filing, whatever the case is that you want to do. You ever realize when they ask you, 
Have you sold any stock? Or if you're involved in real estate, how many properties have you sold? The accountant has to realize that, at, or like I mentioned, they have to actually document that you made a profit from that sell. So remember, that's why they usually say, if you ever heard the uh, stock investors such as Warren Buffett, they always say hold for a period of time. The reason being is the quicker you sell, the more you have to pay a profit on. And I'm going to get into that and bring Daniel into this as well. So under current U.S. federal tax policy, the capital gains tax rate applies to only to profits from the sale of assets held for more than a year. That is referred to as long-term capital gains. So let's say you bought stock. I'm going to go back to Apple. You bought stock of, of Apple at, let's say, 151 at a share. And let's say you held it for a year. So the current rates you probably pay on that could be zero, could be 50% or 20%, depending on the taxpayer's tax bracket of that year. So it really depends on how much you're making from that sale, how much you're worth, so to speak. That's how much it is. Alternatively, this is the one that a lot of people fail to realize is something referred to as short-term capital gains. So that applies to, that's tax applied to assets that are sold one year or less from the date that they were purchased. This profit is taxed as ordinary income. So if you sell stock, let's say you bought whatever amount of stock you bought of this company. I mentioned Apple, there's other companies out there. And let's say you say that uh, your, your stock isn't doing too well. Let's say you bought it in January and then June comes around. You're like, you know what? I need some bread or money, so to speak. And I don't really want to hold this. I want to make some money. So you sell it and don't wait the whole year or after the year, so to speak. You're going to you're going to pay upwards of, let's say, 22 percent or even sometimes higher to your personal income come tax season because your account has to consider that as actual personal income because of the fact you sold less than a year and then it's, it's, it's more of a personal income income thing. So if you ever realize why, let's say you have stock for the audience out there and you sold it less than a year. And let's say your return came back a lot smaller than last year. There's a reason for that because that went into your personal income. So the money you're making from your nine to five job, if you sell your stock less than a year, that also goes into effect with the personal income. So the government is going to take out more money as a result of you doing that. So for all the wealthiest taxpayer, taxpayers, that is the higher tax rate than capital gains rate. Capital gains taxes... Yeah, are, are due only after investment is sold. So remember, you're only going to pay a capital gains tax once you sell the asset. Now, this can vary. This can include stocks, bonds, jewelry, coin collections, that's Bitcoin people, and all these cryptos out there, and real estate. So if you remember, if you're selling these assets for whatever type of profit, whether it's your personal profit whether you're using that to make a purchase or something else, you're going to have to pay taxes on all those things. Long-term gains are levied on profits of investment held for more than a year. Short-term gains are taxed at the individual's regular income tax rate. For all but the wealthiest, the higher the tax on the long-term gains. So what does that exactly mean? That means that unless you're Jeff Bezos, unless you're Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey, you're going to pay a shitload in taxes if you sell for less than a year on your short term as opposed to waiting a year plus. Really important. Daniel, your thoughts on that?
I think it's a really good point to bring up that investing for the long term will actually save you money than investing in the short term because, you know, we've heard the saying long term gains over short term gains is kind of the move. Warren Buffett has repeated and a lot of other um, successful investors have repeated that slogan of listen, buy and hold or, you know, long term investing is kind of the, the movement like index and index fund investing, you know, you know, trying to outperform the market with short term, you know, stock picks or short call options or whatever your method is. It, yeah, I mean, you can make, you could flip a, a couple of coins doing that, um, no pun intended, but it's going to result in the next fiscal year, you're going to have to pay a large portion of that in capital gains, right? And Charles, you mentioned it very beautifully that if you hold your asset for less than a year and then sell it, it doesn't matter if it's like, let's say it's the same five grand that you, that you flip, right? That same five grand, less than a year, you're going to pay more taxes than if it's five grand more than a year, right? It's, it's just how it works. And I think it's important to really realize that in the year that you're in. So right now we're in February and I know there have been a lot of sell-offs in the January month because of the market, just market conditions, market corrections occurring. And while that may not apply this year in terms of what you're liable to pay for tax-wise, because uh, January's already passed, some forms have already been sent out from brokerage firms, and, and et cetera, that needs to be considered for next year, right? And it's, it's, that, it's that type of mentality where, uh, and, and it's very advantageous to anyone who's really about this trading life. Like if you're, you know, we're not talking one or two stocks here. Like that's something you could probably track yourself. But if you're very big on trading, like you're a day trader or you're very active in the market to the point where you have more than maybe 15 securities trading at a time, this is where a professional is needed because you can very easily overlook a short term uh, capital gains uh, versus a long term because who really keeps track of all of their stocks that they sell at a time, depending on your trading methodology, right? So it's very important to just keep that in mind. Now, the brokerage firm is, and this is important, the brokerage firm is going to give you that, um, you know, form that will, you know, kind of list out, okay, what you need to, you know, the type of, the, your, your historical transactions, pretty much. You'll, you'll get that type of information. But the idea of you actually tallying that in, and trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to pay for the short term in capital gains versus the long term, that's, that requires a profession for a lot of your uh, assets. So long story short, and to, to add on to what Charles is saying is, you know, it all comes back to the type of investor that you are. If, if you're about the short term, you know, trading, and, and in some cases you, you can make some good money in the short term if you know what you're doing, just be sure and be mindful that, you know, with that active investing, there is going to be that added step of, okay, I need to factor in the short-term uh, capital gains results. So I'm going to have to put some money in some account to pay the IRS because they're watching. Uh, and if you're a long-term investor who's maybe more of a passive investor on the passive side, you know, you'll sell your assets more than a year, a year out. 
then um, I mean, you still have to keep track of it. Don't, don't make, don't get it twisted. Still got to keep, you know, keep in mind of, of all of these things, but it's more, you're going to one pay less in capital gains and two uh, for your, um, for the considerations of, you know, accounting, it, it may be advantageous to have either most of your assets in the long-term such in the long-term category uh, uh, versus having a mixed bundle, right? So have your profession, have your tax professional um, and kind of decide what kind of investor you are now. So you can set up your, uh, whatever you want to call it, your savings account for paying those taxes or um, however you, you you handle that when the time comes next year, right? So, um, but yeah, it's it's that's that's really key, really key. Short term versus long term uh, capital gains. It's it's a very tricky thing, and I think the past couple of years with the markets being very bullish, and you know, a, a lot of investors have been um, trading very actively. I think this is the time where, going back to um, what I said earlier about market being very you know, kind of bearish territory, a lot of sell-offs and things like that. This is something to consider heavily. So looking at your assets, seeing what what assets you've held for more than a year, what assets you've held for less than a year, and just being prepared because you can be surprised when uh, when the bill comes due, how much you actually may end up owing. Right. And that's very important, like he said, because, and audience, I'm going to use a personal experience. I stupidly, when I first started investment, investing, excuse me, in the stock market, did sell very quickly because that's when I was enjoying the time of my life, you know, just saying like, Hey, fuck it. I got money in the stocks. Let me just sell it. Just make my, get my money. And then, you know, I could go do whatever I wanted to do. But when tax season came and then my accountant went line by line at how much stuff I sold off and whether it was yeah. Apple, Google, all these stocks, I ended up having to basically my return was shit. Like what I got back was nothing because of the fact of, it went and took out money for my personal income. So it's very important audience for the audience listening. You want to get as much money back as possible. It is, it's not by coincidence, like Daniel mentioned, people like Warren Buffett teach you stuff like this. And I don't, I don't look to just people like that. I mean, you can even listen to Jay-Z lyrics when he's mentioning stuff like, you know, basically like building up credit, doing certain things like that. All these kind of coincide with what we're teaching here, because the thing is, he's saying that, you know, take care of your debt. Capital gains can look can be looked at as debt. The reason why is it's not necessarily debt going on your credit report, but it's going to be debt that you have to pay back when tax season comes around, especially if you're selling it really quickly. And as he mentioned, in the in the bullish, bullish is basically in a, in a market that's growing. Bearish is a market that's going down. And right now, the, the market every day is like, I think, look, women are going to come at me, but it's like that time of the month for a woman. And then, you know, the mood swings start happening. <laughs> so so many things going very on. Very volatile market. Right exactly. <laughs> There's so many things going on at once. Whereas like, you know, as a, as an individual, you know, what's a handle, even sometimes they themselves. So it's like, you really got to prepare for that. And like Daniel mentioned, that's if, if you're in a right now, if you're in the market right now, let's say you just got in this year, you should already start putting money away for next year. doesn't matter whether you're, we are thinking of selling or not. You just want to come be prepared. So when that time comes, because we all do stupid things, we all, we're all creatures of habit, as Daniel kind of mentioned without saying it. So at some point, we're going to probably do something stupid, but, but just be prepared when Uncle Sam comes and he's saying, where's my share? That's really important to understand. 
But kind of keeping it on brand, and I want to transition, there are other tax forms outside of just the asset-based uh, perspective that we're kind of discussing. And another one is the one that the 1040, or that's your individual tax return. Now, if you work for any company, if you're employed in any nine to five, you're going to receive a 1040 form around this time of the year. Every company has to issue a 1040 if you work for it. So I work for JP. Yeah, you work for PwC, right, Daniel? So all these companies, right, exactly. All these companies have to issue a 1040. Even if you're in high school and you work at any uh, department store, brick and mortar, uh, you know, fast food joint, let's say you're working just to get a little money for school or, you know, just to go out, spend money. Your comp the company you work for, let's say McDonald's, Macy's, et cetera, et cetera, they have to issue a 1042. So what exactly is a 1040? A 1040 is a basic IRS tax form most U.S. filers use for their annual tax return. You might have to use this form depending on your age, filing status, and gross income. Now, age, when they say that, that's usually, I believe, in, the, in most states is what, 15, 16, right, to work, Daniel? I believe so. So yeah, I yeah, think yeah. Some yeah. states are 16, yeah. Yeah, so basically around that age, that's what they need to know. Your filing status, that basically means, are you single? Are you married? Are you are you separate but filing jointly? What does that mean? That means that you're in a divorce, but you're claiming one child, the other's claiming another one. That's what exactly that means, and so forth. And gross income, how much do you annually gross? Now, let's say, let's say you make about... 40,000 to six or 60,000 a year. Let's use that number. The basic median is around 40 to 60. So let's say you make around that. All this has to be reported on your 1040. Now, the good thing is your employer usually provides that information on the form for you. But even if you had no taxable income, but are eligible for a tax refund or credit, this might be the correct form for you. So what does that exactly mean? Let's say you go to college, but you don't work you still get a tax credit. Why? Because you have to pay something called student loans. Now, the government is going to pay that for you, and they're going to have to give you a credit. Why? Because you're doing a service for them. What does that mean? That means that you're going to school. That is the service you're going to have to do. Now, we could get into the whole issue as to why you have to pay it back, <laughs> but I'll stay on brand and just say that you basically get a credit for doing the service. That's your work. Your work is going to school and they're paying for you. So they have to give you a credit for that. So and remember, that's a 1040. That is what pretty much every US-based company or service company has to pay for their employees. While this form is more complicated than the 1040EZ, it allows you to itemize deductions as well as claim numerous expenses and tax credits. Now, what does itemized deductions mean? I'm not gonna go through every single one, but there are different steps that go into it. You have some certain medical benefits. Let's say you have uh, some people deal with eligible for social security coming up. Some people deal with disability. All these things come into effect when you're, a lot of people don't really look at the 1040 forms, Daniel, I believe so, because we usually get it, we're like, all right, we're going to give it to our accountant. But I recommend for the audience, just look at the tax return that your company gives you. Uh, you if they've already given it, just take a look at it. You'll see a lot of, like, a lot of things on there and just read through it. Each one basically speaks to what I'm basically discussing right now. So that's something I think is really important. Daniel, I think the question I would have for you is, 
how can someone basically better prepare um, so they may, they may not owe on a 1040? Sometimes a lot of people deal with certain things like they don't know what state to file, especially now with Zoom. Some people may live in, let's say, New Jersey, and then, you know, they're maybe, maybe working out of the, uh, their home as opposed to going to the office. Some people can ask like, hey, maybe I don't need to file in the state of New York because I don't live there. I mean, technically, I'm working out of the state, you know, New Jersey right now. So why would I basically have to file for New York as well? So how do you think someone could better prepare uh, so they don't end up actually fucking up on the form, so to speak? Well, the first thing I would recommend is speak to a tax professional. I mean, that's the, the, the pretty standard law when it comes to that double taxation uh ruling that happens a lot because especially in this virtual environment right a lot of people now don't well let me not say a lot of people but some individuals i can only speak for my from my experiences that um they don't necessarily work in the state that they're employed in you know they may have moved to like uh florida or california or you know different states that have different tax rules meaning that they may not have to pay uh state tax or local tax, you know, federal is still federal, but there may be different implications there. And their actual company is still employed in New York. New York has like three to like five different types, like it's just crazy in New York, right? So I think when it comes to situations like that, it's better to, again, speak to the tax professional and prepare for what you may owe. Because the thing with how taxes work when you're employed in two different when you're when you're working in two different states it's 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 weird it's it, it goes by the hours but it also depends on the type of company that you work for right because some companies may have it standardized where if if it's it's on behalf of the company like let's say you're doing it as on a travel basis or something then yeah they'll just charge it to the actual state right like new york but if it's a situation where you're actually living in a different state and you're working and your your company's in like New York, then you may run into an issue where, hey, okay, because you're living in Florida, you have to, you, you know, you're you're obligated to pay these types of tax forms. But because you're working in New York, you also have to pay this, this, and this, right? So it's it's it, and it, it comes to a lot of different, fa- there's a lot of factors to take into consideration. So uh, that's also a thing, right? Like, I know there's, there's and, and I, this was a big thing during the pandemic where, you know, people were kind of just moving around and because of the virtual setting, people were leaving high, high taxable states like New York and, and moving to low taxable states and so forth. But uh, that's not really gonna, you're not gonna get away from paying more taxes. I mean, in the long term, yeah, it may, you know, bounce itself out. But in the short term, Uncle Sam's gonna realize like, hey, this person, you know, moved halfway through the year. and Okay, you know, they, they you still owe what's gonna call back taxes. You're gonna end up owing back taxes on things that weren't accounted for. Let's say uh, for this tax season this year let's say i had moved last year right midway and what i'm what i need to owe in terms of taxes is only going to be half of what i should have been paying for new york because i moved to like florida 
next year, Uncle Sam is going to realize, like, hey, Daniel moved out of New York halfway through. He owes us this amount of money for local tax and state tax. And just because I'm in Florida and I don't pay state tax or whatever, yeah, I may save some money, but that that boo from New York is going to catch up with me, right? So, and these are the things that like, when you speak to your accountant, they need to be kind of top of mind because, you know, you're you're paying them to kind of give you the 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 words of the wise and how to best prepare for these things because it will happen eventually. I mean, some people, you know, slip through the cracks, but eventually, I mean, you, you can't escape Uncle Sam, right? Like he's going to find out eventually. So I think when it comes to that type of thing, Charles, to answer your question, because I'm not a tax professional, but I do know that that double taxation stuff, when it comes to like, you know, moving around states, that is trackable, right? Because yeah. when you fill out your hours and, all of that stuff. Like if you ever look at a, like a timesheet, if you ever look at a timesheet and you ever look at how, you know, your, your billing departments work, your HR departments work, you're usually recording your time and it, and it's recorded within a system that is trackable by location. So no matter where, like, especially now with this whole virtual setting and Sometimes you have to log it through VPNs and all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. your location is, is definitely tracked. Don't, don't make the mistake to think it's not. It's definitely tracked. So when you are recording your hours and those hours are being recorded within a certain state, that is all being pulled into the system, their HR system. And then, you know, when payroll happens and then when it comes tax time, all that is being considered. So it's not, it's not to say that like, it's 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 eventually going to catch up no matter what, right? And um, and this is not even taken into consideration your residential status. Like if you own property in a different state, like that's a whole nother. Mm-hmm. This is just working, right? So yeah, if you're if you're in the type of situation where you're kind of like juggling two different states, one you're living in and one you're working and, and you're uh, employed in another, um, that's definitely. A, a talking point with the account because there are definitely and I and I've definitely seen and experienced this. There's definitely some tax implications there, at least in the short term, when you make that shift, that you're going to end up owing some back taxes. Long term, you may end up saving, uh, but yeah, for the short term, definitely be prepared for that. Exactly. Uh, he made he made really great points, audience. So I definitely recommend what he was saying and also kind of highlighting what I had mentioned. There are ways that some people, if you ever heard somebody say, like on their personal expenses, they're like, I was able to get a deduction for my personal income. Now, how a lot of people may ask themselves, how would I, someone be able to do that? Remember, I just mentioned earlier, audience, if you were listening to a little bit of what I was saying, I hope you were. I was telling you that there are certain factors that come into play where, as opposed to you having to pay, let's say, X amount, you can actually save a lot from your nine to five job. And these are certain things that you have to be eligible for. But similar to what Daniel said, they're gonna cross check. And so trust me, if you you think you're trying to dupe the system, you can't beat a corporation. That's just impossible. So (laughs) yeah, you can go from from the NFL to to fucking Mickey D's. You're not gonna beat them because they have billions and millions of dollars to assess and find out what who's actually doing what. So it's really important. So 
there's something called a schedule a from the form 1040 which is a schedule a is basically deals with your itemized deductions now you might hear people say that some personal expenses are deductible like i mentioned from your gross income to potentially lower the amount of taxes you have to pay that statement is true and if your total deductible personal expenses are greater than the standard deduction amount set by the irs i would recommend you do research on that you can itemize them by using the form Schedule A. Now you can even go on Google, you can go on the irs.gov site and actually pull this form and see what it looks like. If you think that maybe what I'm saying isn't true, whatever the case is. The schedule has seven categories I wanna quickly go through. That includes charitable donations. What is charitable donations? You ever listen to any CEO that goes like, they're giving amount this, this amount of money. Let's say you've heard, you've heard Tim Cook say that they're doing a, 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 a college donation or let's say Bloomberg has said he's done such, such philanthropy work and all that. That's a tax, that's a tax deduction. Je, uh, Mackenzie Bezos, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, not saying she's doing that on purpose, but all this money she was giving out to colleges, she can itemize all that from her personal income because the IRS says, thank you for giving, giving out all your money you deserve a reward for that. So that's your return. So for those that do philanthropy work, that goes as an itemized deduction where you can save a lot more and get more back in your tax return. Remember, people aren't, aren't, aren't rich by, by, by luck. A lot of, some of it deals with luck, but a lot of them it deals with their brain. So remember, don't be fooled when people give out money just because you think that, oh, it's out of the interest of their hearts. I'm sure it is, Daniel, right? But- Alternatively, from a tax perspective, they can save a lot mm -hmm. on their return as a result. This is what and, they and just to, just to piggyback on that. It, it, there's a lot of companies now. If you look on their website, they have philanthropy all over the place. Yep. Right? It's like a it's a very hot topic. It's very you know the industry wide. Uh, it's it's pushed and encouraged to have that philanthropy work. Right not only from just the visual aspect, because it's a lot of good work that these companies are doing, but it's also, as Charles mentioned, in order to save money when it comes tax time, right? And a lot of these companies, they'll consider doing the philanthropy work after they've calculated what their income is for the year, what their profits are, what their, what their margins are, how their bottom line is. Philanthropy kind of, I mean, every company does it differently, but I would imagine that you know, the philanthropy work comes in line with how the company's profits are for the year, right? right. And if they realize that, oh, shit, we're going to pay a lot of money in taxes this year. Let's see what we can do <clears throat> from, a, from, a, uh, from a deductible standpoint to reduce that expense, right? They'll do certain things like philanthropy. And it's not, it's no coincidence. Sometimes you'll see companies, if you look at certain financial reports, you'll see that companies in one year, they'll look like they made less money. And then in the next year, it's like it skyrockets. Right. But it's like, you, you don't really see a change. Like, you, you don't really see a change in, in certain like operations that they do, like operational expenses. So this is more on, this is like deep accounting stuff. But right. if you really look at certain, if you look between years and you see margins increasing or decreasing, but there's the level of operations is relatively the same, you can bet that there are some deductibles that went into that, uh, to went into those statements. Yeah. And that's really important from a, from a tax perspective and, and just all of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he may, Daniel makes a great point. And even you don't even have to look at a financial statement. Kudos to you if you do. But you can literally just go on any news site and look at what any company is doing. You can look at the Amazons of the world uh, donating money for schools and all that. I mean, this is yep. just this is regular news. But if you look in the, in the deeper crevice of it all is like we just mentioned, there is a reward or an incentive for them to do that from a company standpoint, which is important. There's also aspects of medical expenses and mortgage interest. Now, medical expenses, what does that exactly mean? That means that a lot of times, if you heard of something called, a, is it an HSA? I believe that's something that- HSA, they yep. yeah. HSA, health savings. Uh, I don't even know what it stands for, but I, I'm going to look health that up. Savings account. Yeah, yeah, account, right. So that's part of it. You using your personal income and putting it towards, let's say, let the, the health savings thing, whether you use it or not you can itemize that as a deduction. That's, that's something that you can get as, a, as a, a tax credit or tax reward because of the fact is you're taking your personal income that you're working from your nine to five and putting it into a fund that it does go back to the company, like I mentioned. So Uncle Sam is going to look at it. And when I say Uncle Sam audience, I mean the Internal Revenue Service IRS is going to look at it and say, hey, Daniel Charles is putting, let's say $100, they put $100 a month, let's say 100 times 12, 1200 for the year. They put that into a health savings account. For them doing that, they should be awarded a credit for that, or they, they should have some type of thing where they have the, the ability to deduct that because they're taking that out of their personal income and putting it into another uh, account which is still under the company. Remember that. <laughs> so that's very mm -hmm. important to know. So that's, and, that's one and, thing. And, and a double add on with the HSA, just to pivot slightly is you get that benefit, but also it's a health savings account, which means that you can use it for your own medical uh, expenses, whatever right. it may be. And because Person. it is, it is, uh, it is in most cases an HSA is pre-tax. So if you use that money for, let's say, you know, a co-payment or something like that for a doctor's visit, that money is not out of your uh, post-tax. It's not out of your net income. It's, it's, it's out of your, you know, what would be your gross. It's pre-tax dollars, right? So you save money by using an HSA for your medical expenses on top of the, the, the added benefit of having it as an itemized deductible. So I do recommend having an HSA if you, if you haven't looked into it. But just wanted to point that out, Charles, because it's it's a very that's a that's an exciting account to have. Honestly. It, it is. It is. A, yeah. Such a saver. Right. It has its rewards, as Daniel mentioned. I definitely recommend looking at it. I myself have it. Uh, so I definitely recommend the audience, you know, if you are interested, your company does offer that. I'll reach out to your HR department and, and you know, just kind of confirm that from that end. But there are other medical expenses that come into play um, outside just the HSA. But that's just something I wanted to highlight as an example for the audience. Um, there's other aspects as well I want to get into, but I'm going to leave that for y'all. I'm going to transition into something called the next form is a 1099 interest income form. Now, you will see that from the IRS. Let's say the IRS sends you a 1099. It will say 1099-INT. You might receive a 1099 interest form from banks or financial institutions if they paid you for a certain amount of interest on your deposits. In many cases, you'll have to pay tax on the interest, the, the form lists and reported on your tax return. All amounts listed 
on the form need to be added to your return. Additionally, you must prepare a Schedule B with the name of each payer and the amount of interest received if the total taxable interest is over a $1,500 threshold. Now, I think that went to about 2000 I think, under the Biden administration. I could be wrong. But what does that mean? 1099 deals with, let's say, your bank. Let's say you have a savings account. Whether you're making 0 0.001, 0 0.002, doesn't matter. They have to issue a 1099. Also, Cash App, uh, these, a lot of these uh, third-party uh, banking systems, there are interest paid on a certain amount of them. Why? Because let's say you have any amount 600 or higher. If you guys have been reading that, when they're saying you have to, uh, you know, basically mm -hmm. display that, that's what you're going to receive back is a 1099. You have to report that because you have to report. That's the threshold the government set, basically. So saying like, let's say you have a something, uh, an amount, let's say I cashed at Daniel 600, for example. I have to report that. The reason being is because they're saying they're going to cap it um, at, let's say, the $500 threshold. So anything after the $500 has to be reported as personal income, or there's going to be interest charged for you having to basically pay that out to whoever you're sending that money to. So that's how the government is going to look at it, or these third-party financial institutions. I mentioned Cash App. You have Zelle. You have Venmo. You have all these out there. So this is what you use a 1099 for. Crazy. Even even while saving money, you still got to uh, you still got to pay Uncle Sam. Exactly. And, and it's and it's coming at a time where you know in the past few years because of the pandemic, the savings rate on some of these banks, even online banks, have been like really shit. But right. now that the Fed funds rate is, is going up and they're trying to beat inflation, this is going to be actually very important because uh, let's say your bank, whatever online bank you have, let's say it's it's maybe doing like. 0.3 or you know 0.5 like really low but you know in the next couple months when you know the, the the fed decides to hike up some of their rates it jumps to like 1.5 you know two percent sometimes you know online what's not the jp morgans and wells fargo's those right, right. you're never getting anything right yeah if, right. if you, yeah those are just those are terrible but the other ones um next year You'll see that, right? You'll see, like your, you'll you'll be like, oh, interest, okay, I got like a hundred dollars in interest, okay, I got five hundred dollars. Like you're gonna see, you know, depending on how much money you have in there, uh, you're gonna see it kind of get, you know, some some, you're gonna see some interest there, and then ten ninety nine, right? So right. another thing to keep in mind as uh, as you, you know, have those savings accounts in place that you know, it's just just another form to fill out. Exactly. Uh, he mentioned that. So just please be aware, audience. I, I highly recommend that. Uh, you know, definitely take a look at that, review that, and make sure you have all your, your ducks in a row, as they say. Now I'm going to get into some fun stuff. Uh, it gets a lot more interesting, audience. So if you're still with us, thank God. <laughs> shit, that shit put me to sleep, but it's very interesting. So I, <laughs> so love I got it. my water. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. So definitely transitioning. These, these, next four forms four to five forms i'm going to discuss is very important audience now the rest were important but i will put these if if what i was discussing was a five this is about to be a 10 because a lot of people fuck up in the next couple forms i'm going to mention i'm going to read them off and i'm going to explain each one in detail a little bit with daniel 
So for the those that are listening can really understand and not confuse a lot of these forms and why you have to follow them. The first one is a form W-4. That is an employee withholding allowance certificate. A lot of people fuck this form up because they confuse it with a W-2. I'm going to explain what the difference between these two forms are. This is a form W-4, an employee withholding allowance certificate. So if you get a W-4 form, that is what it's going to be called. You don't file a Form W-4 with your annual tax return or send it to the IRS. Instead, you give it to your employer to instruct them on how much tax to withhold from your gross paycheck and remit to the taxing authorities. This form includes a worksheet to help you calculate the amount. You file a new W-4 if you change employers. What does that exactly mean? Let's say... I, midway through the year, I'm leaving JP. Daniel got me a job at PwC. And I said, okay, June is around the corner. I'm going to leave around June. So the fact I'm changing employers, and let's say, obviously, you're going to leave. I would hope you leave your company for more money, right? A lot of times we do that, right? So let's say I was making 80000 a year. And Daniel said, okay, I'm going to bring you to PwC. So he was able to reference me. I got the job. And now the employer said, I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you a hundred thousand. Now, remember I started at JP in January, getting paid 80 by June. I'm getting a hundred thousand. You see that $20,000 bump. That's what you use a W4 for, because what you have to tell the employer at PWC, that means your HR department at PWC is, I originally was making this amount. This is how much I've gotten bumped midway through the year. This is what you use a W-4 form for. A lot of people think a W form is a W-2. I'm going to get into what a W-2 is in a little bit, but this is what you use it for. You don't file a, a new W-4 if you, unless you change of employers. You can also file a new form W-4 with your current employer if your circumstances change. An example, if you have a baby and want to claim an additional dependent, let's say Valentine's Day is around the corner. You got a little freaky with your girl, maybe condom slipped up, some shit happened. <laughs> Nine months later, you have a baby boy or girl. Now you can actually claim that person come 2023 tax time by using the W-4. Because remember, you started the year without having a child. But before the end of the year, before the end of 2022, you ended up getting a child or receiving a child. Let's say you had twins, double, double the fun, as they say. You can claim each child or children on your tax reform, but you need to file a W-4 for that. So what is a W-4 used for, audience? Let's wrap this up. A W-4 is used if you're changing employers through, through a midpoint or throughout the year. That is... If you started with a certain employer at the start of 2022 and changed other midpoint or at the end of 2022, and let's say you got a pay bump, you would use a W-4 form, but you have to file that, not necessarily the employer. And if you don't know how to file that, I recommend reaching out to your accountant to do that for you or a tax professional. Also, you can use a W-4 form if Let's say you started off the year, this year, 2022, without a child, but you ended up having a child 
during this year you and you want to claim it as a dependent entering the, the new year for this tax year 2022 you start filing in 2023 for 2022 you will use a w form 44 a w4 form for excuse me that's a tongue twister so I hope audience that you got kind of what I'm trying to explain here. You only use a W-4 form if you're either changing income or changing your living situation. That means you get more people that you got more mouths to feed as your parents used to tell you. So that's what you use a W-4 form for, but you have to be the one to file it yourself. Now Man, that's, that's, that's fascinating. I, yeah. I, I go lie. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now, you know, these are the these forms are like you see them as you're going through like the HR process on of onboarding. You fill out all these things, W2, W4, like they all it's all W's everywhere and they right. just look the same, but they all have um very unique uh purposes. And this one, mm -hmm. the W4, it's one of those things because you can imagine, and I'm sure a lot of people who have switched jobs and have gotten these pay bumps have seen when it comes time next tax season if this isn't done that's going to come back to you in the form of another wave back taxes right because you've gotten this pay bump right and i imagine charles that if you this pay bump if this is not reported then it's going to look <laughs> it's almost going to look like wait you got this increase in income like like okay how are we how are we going to charges exactly. right how we go you know you may it could be it could be the kind of mistake like if you get a twenty thousand dollar increase mm -hmm. in your salary how much of that is going to be taxed for the following year like what what how much will you actually owe in that instance right on top of just your regular taxes if right. this is if this step is not taken into consideration right so i think you know to save that headache yeah like this is something to I'm going to make sure I have this form in my back pocket, right. <laughs> you know, when, when, should that time ever come? Because, um, yeah, like all the all the, the I's need to be dotted and the T's crossed when it comes to these kinds of things. Exactly. You just never know. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and another point, like like he mentioned, having that form in your back pocket. And remember, audience, all these forms are readily available for you. All you have to go is go on IRS.gov and you can literally pull any of these forms that I'm mentioning for you guys. It's actually available for you and you can actually just print it out and then just file it yourself. Now, you can also go to your company and if you want to do it, because some people stay internally, but they get a higher pay bump. You still have to follow W-4. But luckily, a lot of companies offer that for you. You just have to reach out to your HR department and coordinate with them to get that basically done for you. So, but you just have to provide them with the information because, again, you have to remember they're dealing with... a a hundred to thousands of other people, not just you, that probably are dealing with that certain situation. So you have to make sure that if you do get a pay bump, make sure you know what you were making and what you're going to be making prior to you actually filing or using that form to file. So it's really important. So transitioning, I want to keep it on brand and stay what a, and explain what a form W-2 is. That is your wage and tax statement. Now, remember, I explained what a W-4 was. Now I'm going to explain what a W-2 is. People often confuse the Form W-4 and Form W-2, like I mentioned. Your employer gives you a Form W-2 at the end of the calendar year to show the total amount of tax they withheld from your paychecks. Everybody should receive a W-2. Everybody should know what a W-2 is because that's what you receive annually 
or around this this month from your employer, basically explaining how much they took out for taxes. Now, this can be for insurance, whether it's life, death insurance. This can be for, let's say you're paying legal fees to the company. Let's say you're paying medical expenses. I just explained earlier with Daniel. All these is used on a W-2. A gen- that's a, just a general filing form that every nine to five employer basically distributes to the employees. So everyone should receive a W-2 if you work for any type of company. Doesn't matter what the company is. Your employer also provides a copy of the form W-2 to the IRS. Now they just don't send you the W-2. They also have to send a copy to the IRS directly. And I'm going to explain why they do that. Because Social Security Administration and some states have to review, is this really you? Or is this somebody's name you're using or somebody's paperwork you're using to basically file for them? Now, what does that mean? People are crazy. Some people will pay somebody to do their job for them and it may not be that person. (laughs) So the IRS has to verify that to make sure that this is the actual person receiving, whoever's receiving this W-2 form eligible for a tax return, that's the actual person. So that's why they do that. So these taxes, taxing entities match up the amount you claim on the income. That's another point as income with your amounts your employer reports are paid to you. Another thing I forgot to mention, some people will tell their accountant or file themselves that let's say they're making 100000 when in reality, they're making 80000 So the reason why your employer will send another copy to the IRS is they can easily verify that because it's coming directly from the employer. So please don't lie on your tax return saying you make more than what it is because the IRS already has a copy of how much you really make. So if you're lying to your accountant saying you're, you made 100000 when you really made 80000 the IRS already knows that. And you can face severe penalties and even do jail time if you illegally report that to the IRS or your accountant, so to speak. So, and this is, this is like so important when it comes to like the, the you know, who you claim as dependents and things like that. Cause important. I know there's like, you know, <laughs> there's all these memes and jokes about, oh, you know, we claim these trials, this, that, and the third, you know, but there's some serious, this is, this is serious shit. Like you, you, if you misrepresent your claims and your income and all these other factors on the form that you're going to submit to the IRS through your accountant or just through yourself or, you know, through some tax reporting company, the IRS is going to cross-check that with the employer, as Charles mentioned. Like, they're not just going to take your word for it, right? Like, they're going to make sure that what you put, what you submit to them is already verified through another source. And that source is your employer. And if it's not going to be your employer, it's going to be through probably some other agency, you know, maybe a credit bureau or something. But regardless of the fact, they're going to make sure uh, that what you submit is is authentic and it's real. because if you try to if you try to finesse Uncle Sam, it's not gonna work. I'm sorry. Right. There's this, you know, that there's so there's 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 some wiggle room to do certain things, but complete misrepresentation is not one of them. Right. And like as Charles mentioned, there's some very serious consequences for them. Um, right. and that can happen in the form of an audit. It's not something that may happen, let's say. Let's say I decide to try to finesse Uncle Sam this year, and I do that, right? Yeah, I may not get caught this year, but I may not even get caught next year. But 
at some point, Uncle Sam is going to look at me and say, hmm, you know, Daniel's been moving kind of funny with, with these uh, with these tax forms. Something is not adding up. Right. And that is when an audit is going to be issued. And when you get audited by the IRS, it is a nightmare. Right. It's a nightmare. We're not going to get into all the details, but that is where the rubber meets the road, where everything that you've done, every statement, all anything financially related that you've been submitting is going to be out in the open for review. And that's where if your ducks weren't lined up in a row, you know, that's where the consequences come. So it's not a, it's not something that will happen immediately, but you know, it's, it's kind of like looking over your shoulder, right? Like eventually it's going to catch up with you. So no need for that headache. Right. So just make sure that you're being very authentic. You're, you're, you're claiming the right number of dependents, you know, don't try to finesse your way just so you can save a quick buck because I guarantee you in the long term, it's not going to work. Some people may get away with it. Not going to sit here and say that, it, you know, some people do find a way, but few and far in between, right? And sometimes it's not even worth it to save a couple thousand. I agree. So just yeah. wanted to point that out. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't even put yourself through that headache. Just make sure that what you're doing is correct. If you don't know what you're doing, that's why they have professionals out there. If you feel like, hey, you know, and, and don't necessarily go to the family friend that just filed the taxes and just learn how to file taxes, really go to a professional. I really, I think a lot of people get caught up in that too. They just think like, oh, I can just go to my family friend or the, my cousin that just learned how to file. Make sure that individual knows how, what exactly they're doing. Even if you have to pay a little bit of extra, that's fine early on because you end up saving more as opposed to let's say any little fuck up can set you back financially for years. And remember, the IRS, much like your credit, if you pay it off too early, that's actually looked at a negative for them. So they're going to drag it out as long as possible. That's why Daniel mentioned it. It may not be this year. It may not be next year. may not even be in the next five years, but it's going to happen at some point where the IRS is going to come and say, you owe X amount of dollars. And when it was originally a thousand, it might end up against being 10,000 because they also add interest. Interest is very key in this world, not even just this country. So it's very important to note that. So transitioning to that, a lot of crypto heads out there, you guys have been heavy in the Bitcoin, heavy in the Ethereum. Now you have all these metaverse cryptos out there. And some of y'all have been selling them shits. And some of them, a lot of athletes, oh, I'm going to get crypto and I'm going to get paid in crypto and all that. That's great but you got to file taxes. <laughs> so yep. transition. Same rules apply. <laughs> yep, exactly. So cryptocurrency may be subject to capital gains when exchanged or sold at a profit. That's the NBC, NBC report. That's also Yahoo Finance. You can look at all these other uh, financial uh, news outlets and or institutions that will tell you this. This includes swapping digital coins, cashing out for US dollars or making a purchase or receiving payment in Bitcoin, make sure you mark yes you on your form 1040. Now, remember, I didn't mention crypto on the 1040 form about the question related to virtual currency. For the for your individual tax return, you will need to have to file something called a form 8949 to report your cryptocurrency and NFTs gains and losses. Now. If you sell an NFT, you also have to pay taxes on that. You will have to file what is called a Form 8949 together 
to basically report that this is how much you sold on your NFT and or cryptocurrency. You use something called, remember, I'm going to say it again. I'm purposely repeating this audience. It's called a form 8949. So don't come back to Daniel and myself and say, we didn't tell you which correct form to file if you're listening to this. I repeated it three times for you to report an NFT and or crypto selling. If you held on your virtual currency for more than a year, this is part of the long-term capital gains I mentioned, you may qualify for long-term capital gains of other 0%, 15%, or 20%, depending on your income. For this, you will have to use a 1099B form to report this for your long-term capital gains. So what does that basically mean, bringing it all together, audience? Whether you have bought, sold crypto, you will need to file some type of tax form. That also includes NFTs. That is what you use a form 8949 for when you sell crypto or NFT. Now, if you've held your crypto and NFT for a year or longer, you have to file a form 1099-B. That's B as in boy. That's B as in Billy. I can go down the road. That's what type of form that you use, audience. Daniel, your thoughts. And and I just want to make it a point to, to stress that a lot of these brokerage firms, through their policies and stuff, they should be sending you these forms, right? They should um, be. You'll, yep. you'll, you'll get something in the email around this type of around this time. Check emails. That, yep. Yeah, yeah. You should be getting these forms. Um, and if you don't, that is definitely an issue to, that you should pick up with them. But that's not to say that you can't go on the IRS website and get these forms yourself because, you know, <laughs> Uncle Sam is not going to hear the excuse like, oh, I didn't get the form from Robin Hood. So, uh, you know, I, I couldn't fill out, the, you know, they, nah, that, that, that's not going to fly. So, yeah, these forms, you should be getting them in the mail. Um, very low chance that they're not being sent. But in the event that they're not, you can go on the IRS website and find all of these forms. And we're just touching the tip of the iceberg when it comes to these tax forms. I mean, there are dozens of these things on the, the websites, but we're just touching on some of the capital gains uh, uh, theme versions of these, but there are tons of them. Um, and there's even some for gambling, right, Charles? I mean, that's that's like crazy. I'm, I'm getting into a, that. A tax yeah. for gambling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, and, and, and as Daniel mentioned before, I do get into the gambling piece. A lot of these crypto exchanges, whether it's Coinbase, even if you know, you're know you selling through whatever NFT platform, make sure you look at their inbox on their actual apps or sites. Usually you will see a red notification. You should always click that because sometimes that could be where your tax form is. And Daniel just mentioned that. They send it via email. They send it in their actual app and or website. Or you can just go to irs.gov to get these. So there will be no excuses. Daniel mentioned, I, I have to reiterate it because a lot of times I myself have done it stupidly where I'm like, oh, you know, I don't necessarily have to do it because how would they know? The IRS always knows. They know even if you think they don't know. So because remember, <laughs> all, all these corporations are going to have to report everything that's being done. That includes you being on their platform, whether it's a stock aspect, whether it's a crypto, real estate, whatever you're doing, they're going to have to report this. So the IRS already has a copy of everything you've done prior to you even having to file. So make sure that you do file. Make sure that if you don't know what you're doing, reach out to a professional to 
basically assess and look at these and have the correct number ready for the IRS so you don't trip yourself up down the road. Save as much money as possible. That's one thing I'm learning myself. I'm sure Daniel as well. You have to learn how to save money. You have to learn how to work the system, but do it in a, in a, in a legal format where you know, you're able to get more accurate, more money. A lot of people hang on Amazon because they paid zero dollars. But if you really look at what Amazon did, they did it the legal way. They gave out money when they should. They redistributed the money. So they were able to save money. So all these companies, all these industries are doing it. They're just understanding or understanding the tax code. So make sure you reach out to someone that's professional or someone that could teach this or take an accounting class if you want to learn more about it yourself. I always recommend learning more. I myself, I took one. I'm sure Daniel's versing in as well. So that's very important. Now, transitioning to the last piece of form we're going to provide for you. A lot of y'all been hitting these wins. I myself included sometimes in these fan duels, these uh, bet MGMs, all these other things that a lot of people have been betting. New York has got it. New Jersey, all these other places. You all have to pay taxes, myself included. Whoever you, even if you've made some money and lost, there's some type of form of filing you have to do. Now, I'm going to explain what form you have to use. If you've gambled via all these platforms I mentioned, what are they, Daniel? FanDuel, BetMGM, uh, Caesars. Uh, there's a bunch of them out there. So um, all these people have to provide something called a form W2-G. Now, I'm sure you know what the G stands for. That's a W-2 form for gambling. That's what the G stands for. So a lot of these crypto, uh, not crypto, excuse me, gambling websites are going to be sending you in the next couple of weeks or days ahead, something called the W-2G form. And where you won, let's say you won more than $600 in any gambling you, you received and at least 300 times the amount you wagered. So let's say you... Let's say you won 600 or more, or let's say Daniel and myself bet 50, 50 cents that Joe Burrow will be the MVP of the Super Bowl coming up. And let's say for the 50 cents, we won uh, $1,500. We still have to report that to the IRS. And that's what we're going to have to report on the W2G form. So I'm, it's great that you can go on Bleacher Report and see all these BR betting people winning all of this money. This person betting a dollar winning $50,000 or $5,000. They have to report all this information to the IRS. So whenever you place your bets, uh, the, the site that you use, whether it's FanDuel, BetMGM, Caesars, they're going to have to send you a W-2G form. Simply fill out and make sure you record it on your personal taxes, which is the form 1040. Now, remember, you have to file a W-2G form and include that form on with your 1040 when you go to your accountant. To properly file, file your taxes on the sports betting wins, it is crucial you have accurate records of all your wins throughout the year. You're a winner. That's great. Now you have to learn how to file the W-2G form correctly. The form will ask you to provide more information about you and your winnings. Now, Daniel, audience, certain things that this W-2G form will ask you is provide the contact information for the payer that awarded you the winnings. So let's say it's FanDuel. 
you have to provide that information that FanDuel was the one that paid me $6,000 for the $10 bet I made that, like I mentioned, Joe Burrow would be Super Bowl MVP, example, including his or her phone number. Now you can look this on Google. It provides this for you. The address and the federal tax identification number. All these things can be Googled or you can reach out to their customer service or you can go to their help on their actual site or app to look up all this information. They have this readily available and they have to report this. If they don't report this, you're li liable to reach out to whatever uh, gaming commission and explain that they don't provide that and they will face fines themselves. But most of these people have it already because they don't want to lose money. They're already making money from you betting. So again, that's important. Now, you have to also, and this is very important, this detail the amount of federal, state, and local income taxes uh, withheld from any of your winnings, if any. Now, all you have to do is look up how much gaming taxes is taken out in the state you're in. Now, if you're in New Jersey, example, let's say it pays 20%. If you're in New York, let's say it's 15. I'm just using an example. But these are all things you can Google. All you have to type in Google is how much taxes are withheld from gambling in, in New York or New Jersey, whatever state that you're in, and they'll tell you. So what you have to do is calculate that. So let's say that, let's say if, if it's New Jersey and it's example 20% and I made $66,000, you just have to take 20% of 6,000. If you don't know what that is, just use a calculator and then you put that in your savings because that's how much you have to pay back come tax time. Now, if you've won earnings this year, Daniel explained that to you earlier, you're going to have to prepare for next year. So let's say you made a, a total of 100,000 this year in winnings. Congratulations. But let's say it's 40,000 you have to pay. So let so or 40,000 has to be withheld so you have to pay back 60,000 of the four of the $100,000 earning that you basically made very important i'm sorry but hey you got to make do with what you got <laughs> you, 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 in, in any situation where you're making money there's always going to be a tax you know implication it's 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 a yin and yang kind of exchange right and it's as as funny as it sounds yes that applies to gambling too right like and you know i mean even if you're like a casual gambler versus like a professional gambler you know it's just um yeah it's just crazy to even think like if i if i go to the casino you know and and i and i and i win like uh, at a game of blackjack i gotta pay taxes on on those earnings if they're above a certain threshold it's, it's it's pretty hilarious to think about that because it doesn't matter what it is, right? As if it's if it's winnings that are trackable, um, or 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 not, let me not say winnings. If it's any any, and this is the theme of this whole entire episode, any capital gains, um, whatever you have put in and you get out more than than what is in it. Even if you lose money, I think that's important too. That that we didn't really um discuss like. You can lose money in, in any one of these ventures. It still needs to be reported on, on these forms, right? So stock market, crypto, um, you know, real estate, gambling, like all of these things still have to be reported regardless if you've made money or not. So you can lose money and you still have to report it to, you know, the tax, to, to the IRS. And so it doesn't matter. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And another thing I also want to mention based on what Daniel was saying, look, I'm not stupid for those that are listening to this episode. I know you've been playing for your friends, your girlfriend, boyfriend, family. That's great that you were able to make money for you and them. But you, because you, it was filed under your information. Why do you think when you sign up for a lot of these apps, they ask for your information, not your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your family? You are going to have to file for your gambling wins and losses under your account. Doesn't matter that you played for Jeff, that you matter you played for Brittany, whoever it is, that I played for Daniel. You have to file all those yourself. So I recommend if you're playing for other people, I think you should stop. The reason being is because the more people you're playing for, whether you're winning or losing, that's more money that's coming out of your pocket. It's not going to be coming out of that person's pocket. And you can't tell on a person because you're going to get in trouble with that gaming app and the gaming commission and even the IRS or playing for someone else. But I'm just trying to give you guys the game right now. Doesn't matter what the person says. Oh, it's a sure win, this and that. Tell them no. You can say no. And if they really are your friend, they really are your significant other, whoever it is, they'll ne- they'll do it. Uh, they'll listen. And if that person doesn't listen, well, that's their loss. But end of the day, you're going to lose out more by having to play for another individual. So, but I do want to transition and remember, uh, there's another thing that I I forgot to mention that you really have to know. You have to know the dates that you won a a lot of these earnings and you have to basically report this. Now, and where did you place your bet? What state were you in? Also, some people think because of the fact that they played in New Jersey and let's say they went to New York and they placed a bet, that means it just has to be New, New Jersey. No, no, no. You have to report the fact that you were, you played in New Jersey, New York, whatever state that you were in that you placed bets, you have to report each and every state. You have to report the dates that you won. Now, let's say you don't remember. I'm pretty sure you deposit this in the bank or somewhere in a savings account. They have something called statements. You can also go back and look at your bank statement and or your savings statement, whatever statement that you were. If you put money under your mattress, well, you had to go to a bank and take it out before you went to the mattress. So the bank or whatever app keeps track of all this. Actually, another thing is a lot of these gaming apps, when a bet is called something, it's called settled. When a bet settles, they tell you the date. So you can actually look up when you won, when you lost, whatever the case is. And you report all these transactions on your report uh, for the W2G form. Now, Daniel mentioned something important. I'm going to wrap this episode up is there is a difference between casual and professional gamblers. A lot of people don't know that people like maybe me. I don't know if you gamble, Daniel, but we're casual gamblers. Those are people that are, you know, maybe I bet five dollars here that, like I mentioned, uh, (laughs) uh, Odell Beckham will win. And let's say he won and I won like one hundred dollars. I was like, all right, so I'll just take the hundred. I keep it moving. But there are also people that do this professionally. And these are people that uh, if there's somebody in Texas called like Mattress Mike or something like that, this guy's putting like millions of dollars towards like uh, the Super Bowl. Now, these are people that actually their job is actually gambling. Like maybe they have a little nine to five jobs, but most of their money comes through gambling. Those are something called professional gamblers. Doesn't matter whether you fall as a casual or professional you have to file a form W2G form. And then you have to report that with your 1040 form. That's your individual tax return form. Now that's very important. 
how do you I, now I want to finish up and say there is a way to itemize gambling losses as well. So what does itemize mean? That means that just saving more on the taxes you have to pay. So when somebody ever uses the word itemize audience, that means that how do you deduct or get a, um, a tax deduction from whatever taxes that has to be paid to the IRS? Lost your bet? Don't worry about it. You, but you still have to file your losses. However, this will only be possible if you itemize your deduction. There are a few things you should remember when itemizing losses. You can never deduct more gambling losses than you earn. Taxes owed on, other, on your other winnings can be reduced by itemizing losses, which saves you money. So what does that exactly mean? That means that let's say I won $1,000, but I lost 3000 well, you still have to report the winnings, but you don't have to report the losses. However, let's flip that. Let's say that I won 3000 and I lost 1000 You can actually use something called an itemize where let's say you, you lost 300 here. You can basically report that and your accountant will figure out how to do that, your tax professional. I'm not going to get into what they do, but there is a way to do that where you don't have to pay Maybe it's a 40% that they're saying they're asking for. Maybe it ends up being 20%. There is a way to do it. But remember, please consult a professional. Do not try to do it yourself if you don't know what you're doing because you can fuck yourself up and end up having to pay a lot more. So please reach out to a professional and explain how to itemize gambling losses. They will teach you and show you how to do it. And they will tell you what they have to do because they already learned this in classes. They teach you this in tax classes in H&R Block, all these other places, how to do that. Remember, reach out to a professional. So last point, what happens if you do not claim income from tax bets? A lot of people like think, oh, I don't have to report this. How would they really know? I have three different apps. They can't keep up with all these apps. I'm just thinking, I'm just telling you how people think. People think sick like this. <laughs> so, but you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> they pay people to track exactly what you do from these gambling sites and or the IRS government, whatever the case is. Their job is specifically to track each and every customer's transactions. Now, people may think that sounds insane, that sounds crazy, but trust me, you'd be surprised what people can do with money and, and, and resources. So in doing that, the IRS wants you to file all your taxable earnings. And if you don't pay, you may face consequences and interest on any of the taxes you owe but didn't pay. Failing to report taxable income on your tax return via Form 1040. Remember, the 1040 form is what you need to send to the IRS, but you need to file a W-2G. That is a W-2G for gambling, sports betting, and attach it to your 1040 before sending it to the IRS. You can face severe penalties. That includes fines or even jail time, depending on how long you decide not to pay. Do yourself a favor and claim your income on your sports bets, please. If you don't know how to do it, reach out to a professional. Go to the IRS.gov. Just Google W2G form. It'll be the first thing that you see on Google. This is all important. Um, my last thoughts, I'm going to bring Daniel in on this. Actually, Daniel, you go first. I want you to go first. <laughs> my closing thoughts. Yeah, I mean, Charles, you pretty much said it all when it comes to 
seeking that professional advice and getting the facts, right? Because I think, especially with all of the tools available to us, uh, there's different tax agencies, companies, and there are ways that we could do our own taxes now where in some instances, we don't need a professional or we think we don't need a professional, still get a professional. There are things that the tax professional can do that you may not have the level of expertise to accomplish, right? Like gambling, like I don't know shit about this when it comes to reporting uh, my earnings and my winnings on, on these forms. I'm gonna seek a tax professional. Yeah, it may cost me a little bit more, but on the back end, I'll save the headache. And this should be applied to all of your, you know, whatever type of realm you're in to, to make some extra money on the side. Have that one tax professional who's versatile in all of these things, right? Uh, try to find a one size fits all. I know it's hard. There are a lot of different tax professionals out there, but try to find one that suits your needs and what you have. Um, and then just, you know, roll with it. And I think, and I like to call this the, uh, the lazy man's way to paying your taxes. Set up a bank account specifically for taxes and just put some money in there every so often, right? Like if you don't want to go through the hassle of calculating all of your, uh, what you would be liable for to pay, you know, 20% here, 50% there, you know, that could drive somebody crazy. The easiest way is just to put some money into that, that uh, tax account. Don't touch it. And when it comes tax time, whatever you owe, just take the money out of that account. Right. It's the simplest way to avoid, um, you know, one, you're, you're, you're ahead of the game, right? Because you have that money set aside. And two, you have your tax accountant there who can give you the facts and figures. So if you're short, then you just, you know, have you just try to finesse some money to, to get in that account so you can pay the IRS. And if you're ahead of the game, cool. Now you have that money that can roll over to the next year, right? So my closing thoughts and, and my, my words of advice when it comes to all of this is, you know, one, get a, definitely get a tax professional. And two, have an account set up so that you could, you know, put just whatever you earn, just put a little bit in there. And that's going to be your, the money that you, uh, you pay Uncle Sam. Don't wait until it's time to pay Uncle Sam to get the money together to pay Uncle Sam. I'm going to repeat. Don't wait until it's time to pay Uncle Sam to get the money together to pay Uncle Sam. Right. Get ahead of the curve. Get the account set up. Have the money already, you know, just sitting there. And, and when it comes time, boom, just pay it one time. You don't want you don't want to dance around with these guys. Just 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 get it done. And that way you're ahead of the curve. And, you know, keep in mind everything that we've talked about short term versus long term. You know, decide what type of investor you are. And if you're more of a short-term person, then you know what you need to do. You need to put a little bit more into that bank account or, or factor in that you may pay more taxes. So, um, and, and if you're changing jobs and things like that, just be ahead of the curve with all of these considerations. Right. And yeah, you said it, you said it beautifully, Daniel. I mean, all these points that you emphasize is something that I myself uh, definitely, uh, I'm going to take your advice as well. Like, even with setting up, yeah, setting up like a, a separate account just for taxes. I mean, that's something that you can do. You even if you if you don't want to go to your bank 
and tell them that exactly why you're setting up account. You could just open up an account and then just tell them like, you know, you just want to open up account for whatever personal business you're doing and then just put money aside like that. I mean, that's a great point. Um, I think that's an easier way. You can even freeze your accounts um, so you don't actually touch it. If you have, if you're someone that, you know, money just comes through your hands and then goes out the door, then put a freeze on it uh, where, you know, that means you, you actually physically can't even touch it, even if you wanted to, unless it's tax time, then you can go to your bank and then actually, you know, tell them that you want to open it. That's something you can do as another option. If you're someone also that, let's say you heard this episode and you're like, fuck, I went and bought Gucci. I bought Louis Vuitton with all my earnings. I didn't have any money saved. Well, the good thing is from last year or whatever the case is, the good thing is tax ends April 15th. There's a possibility they may extend it. I'm not really sure. But calculate how much you won and then start now. For whatever paychecks you are, start putting money towards that. If you have to skip a couple of uh, birthdays with friends or taking your girl out Valentine's Day, whatever the case is, then you do that. Uh, you end up helping yourself more in the long term than right now where let's say you have to scramble come tax time when you're filing or you realize that you forgot to place a filing for the gambling wins and losses that you obtained throughout last year or even this year. You prepare for next year, like Daniel said, start now, start putting money aside. If you know you're someone that's going to be casually betting from time to time, start putting money towards that. And, you know, just prepare. So when tax season comes, you're already ahead of the game. We already provided to you guys what type of forms uh, to have, what professional a professional to reach out to. If you're unaware of what professional to reach out to, uh, you can always reach out. To, it doesn't even necessarily have to be us, but you can reach out to a lot of these accounting uh, brokerages or whatever the case is to seek somebody that can help you with your taxes as needed. Remember, don't reach out to cousin to cousin uh, Bob or whoever the case is to do it if that person doesn't necessarily know what they're doing. Don't be cheap. Put money in the short term so you save in the long term. That's really important audience. Now, remember, the question I want to ask those that's listening is, how can you better prepare to save money this tax year than in previous years? A lot of times we, we end up giving more money than we need to. And we think that because we're not rich or whatever the case is, we don't necessarily understand how to save money on our taxes. Remember, audience, taxes isn't just for the rich or the poor. Everyone is taxed. It's just some people think, how can I save more than I'm giving away? That's just something to think about and remember as you listen to this episode. I want to thank those tuning in from Spotify as well as Apple. And YouTube, this is the Danso Pitch. We are available. That's D-A-N-S-O Pitch. This is Charles Danso. I'm joined by my good friend, my partner, Mr. Daniel Goodman. Thank you. This is episode sure. 61. This will be dropping this week. Uh, definitely take a listen. To share, subscribe. I, I, want, I want to hear you guys' comments. We want to hear you guys' comments. Uh, what do you think about this episode? How can we better help you? We may not be tax professionals, but we do the research, we provide the info and point you in the right direction. So also remember that. And that, that could be a good takeaway from yours. You guys stay safe, be blessed. Enjoy your Valentine's Day, Super Bowl weekend. We will be back for a new episode. Talk to you guys soon. This is Charles Danso. Talk to you guys later. Peace. Peace.